Hello and welcome to Dorks on Sports, a podcast about four dorks talking about sports, but there's only three of us today. My name is Daniel. Joining me as always is Curtis. How are you doing over there? I'm doing awesome. I uh, I think I'm coming down with something, but I'm. You sound great. That's a it, it's a good <laughs> like it's a good podcast voice. It is. Yeah, yeah. There's it's got a, a lower baritone register. It's a little bit yeah. of that, that gravelly. Uh, yeah, I like. So it. I should talk more in this you episode. Should, you should talk more. He, uh, you know, like I don't know, plan on being sick a little more often, Curtis. It sounds good on you. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah, Alana, how are you doing over there? Doing all right. It's uh the end of a longer day and after a pretty long weekend and not necessarily in the best of ways but it's been (laughs) uh, my (laughs) my kid almost broke her nose um and then today we had a an appointment with the nt uh and um at school today (laughs) uh she got hit in the face with a ball um god (laughs) It was like, oh God, did you break your nose again? Um, so that was that was its own journey. Um, yeah, yeah, and then exciting. We got her dominoes, or she got dominoes as a result of almost breaking her nose from my <laughs> uh, from my mom, and she's she's had some difficulty navigating the emotional highs and lows of setting up dominoes <laughs> yeah right because when you accidentally knock them over then that's you knock them all over devastating. yeah that's the, so, there it all goes uh that is a metaphor for my life yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure uh you want to dive in i want to talk about these seahawks because i had a heck of a lot of fun on sunday watching these guys play the rams and win and over by the way Return of the heart attack Hawks. Like the, we got a vintage yes. Seahawks, uh, you know, we need a touchdown to win it in the final seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't had one of those in a while. Uh, and uh, I, I'm not going to say I miss it, but, um, you know, it was like, oh, yeah, I remember what what these games were like. Um, uh, Gino uh, fires a 10 yard bullet to DK Metcalf, who beat Ramsey in the end zone. Uh, win the game 30 seconds left, uh, in that, in the, in the game there. And, uh, and we beat the Rams, um, at the SoFi stadium. Um, this is, uh, that's a big deal. Uh, the, these Sean McVay Rams have won, I think going into that game, seven of 10 or something like that. Um, that's a big deal. Uh, and it's nice to get that monkey off our back. Um, there's, there's a criticism that, these this team if they want to be playoff contenders um maybe should have beaten the rams a little more strongly considering the rams were down a bunch of starters including stafford their quarterback cooper cup who is arguably like you know their best offensive weapon aaron donald um Alana, uh, is there any weight to that criticism or uh, is this just a good, solid, strong win against a hard divisional opponent? I'm wondering if you can guess what my thought process is. <laughs> no, there's no way to that criticism. The A win's a win against every team in the NFL is a team in the NFL. They have professional players who have a career playing this game. They have talent at all kinds of positions. So to step in and say that, oh, we should have beat them more handily, we beat them. And we beat them in a really exciting way, and we beat them leaning into our strengths. And our strengths this year are Geno, the receiving core, uh, in a lot of ways. And I know that K-9, in this case, would be someone you'd want to include in the strengths category. But he he got knocked out. Um, Yeah, early in the game. Early in the game. And so, like, for me, from my perspective, to say that, well, I don't know if this is a playoff contender in the same way because they didn't demolish the Rams is ludicrous. It's just talking head stuff. Like, do I want them to play better against the Rams who are depleted? Absolutely. Am I more interested in an exciting game that goes down to the wire that ends in a result that's positive for the Seahawks? 100%. Did I enjoy that game against the Raiders just as much as I enjoyed this game? Yes. 
So like for me, I, I just I'm keeping in mind that this is all entertainment. This is all for fun. Um, I don't live and die by it. Uh, I enjoy the hell out of it. Uh, and it's so like I watch football for the opportunity to root for people that are doing something unique, that are that are performing at the top of their skill level. And boy, did we see that at a Tyler Lockett, at a DK Metcalf, at a Geno Smith. And I know Curtis wants to spend a lot of time talking about Geno, and I fully support it. It's like, like, that's why I get so like, and and you'll hear a little bit about this uh, from me when we talk about baseball later. I get so frustrated with fandom. It's so fickle. I so agree with that. And I just want like, there's a reason, and 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 Curtis, you're more knowledgeable about football than than I am, absolutely. But I don't think that you would say I would be a better coach than Pete Carroll, right? Or I would be a better coach than Clint Hurt. You're you're coming at it from the perspective of I'm seeing things from my perspective, from my point of view that I think might work. But you also don't have 100 percent of, of the picture like they do, and you're willing to cede to them their expertise. All of these back chair arm or backseat armchair uh, coaches that go in, or GMs or whatever, who say, "Well, you should have done this, or you should have done that," or "You're not doing a good enough job to please me." They don't owe us fucking anything. They they perform for Seattle and they care about Seattle because they're caring, intelligent, successful, uh, skilled people who want to commit their lives to this pursuit of something that is ultimately entertainment. And we feed back into that and it's great. And the world doesn't end if we lose and the world doesn't like continue on just because we win. Uh, And so uh, like all of that wrapped up together, like it's this season has been a fucking gift, you know, like, uh, and if we make it to the playoffs, which I still can maintain that I think we will, and I called that that we would make it to the playoffs at the start of the season, though I called a worse record. Um, I, I, you know, I can't. Did we beat the pants off the Rams? No. Would you, we have? Would you have ever thought we would beat the pants off the Rams in the preseason? We all counted this as a loss, right? Like. Totally. This was a game against the Rams in LA. Like, so I just, that type of thing feels like creating a a controversy to create conversation. And that's what pisses me off about football coverage. I I agree. And uh, by the way, I just want to say, you know, all the armchair coaches and GMs out there uh, weren't given, giving Geno Smith a chance this season and they you know who this. was was curtis curtis was like i want to see gino <laughs> and I, i'm i mean you started to believe in gino during the preseason uh and that, that's end, more yeah, than i yeah. can yeah. I was buying into yeah that's more than you could say for me because i was calling for baker mayfield mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> who is uh who is He's on his third going team to the rams <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah um uh I, and i i agree with all of your points there alana um i i I actually think this was one of the Seahawks' strongest wins of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you first, it doesn't matter how bad a team is. A divisional opponent is always going to play you tough. And Sean McVay is a brilliant coach who knows how to coach against the Seahawks. And mm-hmm. they could be down their best players, and they're still going to play hard. They're playing at SoFi Stadium. They're playing for... Um, pride and they're not going to let the Seahawks come in and take a game and they played their butts off. I thought Sean McVay had a really good game plan um, and I thought they played the Seahawks really well and the Seahawks pulled this one out um, with, with guts um, and Geno Smith, uh, you know, all of his critics said the one thing that he doesn't have on his resume is a uh, fourth quarter come from behind win. Um, you know, to get that which is not true. He seconds. hasn't had it here in Seattle because he hasn't had the opportunity much here in Seattle. Right. They 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 haven't come from. I mean, they've been playing with leads, you know, right. through a lot of these games. But when he was with the Jets, he'd actually, I think, 
I mean, I think I heard this on the radio today. Like he's he's he won like you know six or seven of them while he was a Jet. So yeah, he, and even this season, yeah. I would say he won a bunch of these games mm-hmm. in the fourth quarter. Yeah, being that like mm-hmm. solidly put the most points uh, that they needed, or put the game away, like solidly put the game away, and that's nothing to shake a stick at, you know. Um, Geno Smith is playing out of his mind. Uh, he had uh, what he broke a record for most games uh, over one uh, over QB rating consecutive games. Uh, uh, he has the most, um, yeah, he has the most games in a season thus far, uh, of a QB rating of over a hundred. He has nine of them. And I believe like previously up through this point, there's the, like no quarterback has ever done more than seven. And, and so, there's a bunch of games left in the season. Yes. So like he's, you know, Smith isn't just playing at like a pro bowl level, which I, I mean, he's going to be a pro bowl quarterback. Mm-hmm. By, by I think I he's mean, leading he's, the he's, NFC he's, in votes. He's, yeah. he's, he's in an all pro clip right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And if, you know, if his name was um, Pat Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers or Josh Allen, he would be, solidly in the mvp conversation he's on the outside of that conversation right now but i think he would be a favorite to be winning that if his name was if he was white smith you know if it was russell wilson he they'd be talking about oh this is his time to get the mvp this is his Mm -hmm. year um yeah uh i i i there are a bunch of reasons why I love Geno Smith right now. Um, and the the biggest one that I want to point out is his leadership and his mm-hmm. and the emotion that he displays on the field, which isn't to say like he goes up and down. I think he's very even keel, uh, but he shows it when he needs to. And, uh, and he plays with a chip on his shoulder. I love to see mm-hmm. that. Um, mm-hmm. And because I think that inspires a team, uh, not only like the guys around him, you know, on the field, but like the defense and stuff like that. When you, when you can see your quarterback fired up like that. Um, but I also just want to shine light on the fact that, you know, we're seeing a black quarterback do this, mm-hmm. a black quarterback um, who is, you know, has had to go through so much adversity <clears throat> in his career um, and uh, and then play backup for so long and then coming in and just taking not only like the starting spot, but playing like one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Um, and to me, that's really inspiring because we've talked about this before in the podcast, but black quarterbacks aren't allowed to fail. You know, I would go so far as to, to apply this in the larger scope and, and say that black men especially um, darker skinned black men aren't allowed to redeem themselves. Mm-hmm. Not, only, not only are they allowed to fail, once they fail, that's all they are. That's it. So they yeah. have to be perfect until such a point where they fail. And then we forget about them. And we yeah. see that in all kinds of industry. And we see that in the criminal justice system and we see it in sports and, um, it's wonder it's a wonderful story both because of the level at which he's playing but also because of what you bring up here Daniel yeah and he's just such a legitimately good guy um, mm-hmm. i i love it i love the story i i'm a big gino fan and i hope he signs a big ass contract and 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 gets his bag of money uh, what are you seeing out of him, Curtis, on, on the football field? Let's talk X's and O's. What are you seeing out of Geno Smith? What's the X factor? And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, um, I, this is a, probably a dumb question, but should the Seahawks mm-hmm. give him that uh, big extension? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's a done deal. Um, inevitable. Probably after the season. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah I, I, I fully anticipate that he will be the starting quarterback in Seattle probably on a multi-year, you know, uh, longer term contract. Um, 
That's not to say they won't eventually, you know, draft and develop behind him, but I think he's the guy. And he very, I mean, the biggest thing that I see is he's just in full control of this offer. <laughs> um, Lewis Riddick was on the radio on 710, I think, the other day. And he was, you know, I mean, he, you know, Riddick is, you know, kind of a big NFL talking head sort of guy, I believe, on ESPN and, you know, um, uh, covers the draft and covers the NFL. And he was out in Seattle training camp uh, in August, and he was calling it then. Mm-hmm. That, Watch out for Seattle. Yeah, He was the only one uh, kind of on the big, you know, uh, national stage to do that. And he was mm-hmm. saying, like, watch out for Geno Smith. This guy really knows this offense. And what he was saying on the radio is, like, in his discussions with him, you know, and this was still at the time where – you know, the quarterback situation wasn't decided between him and Drew Locke and everybody mm-hmm. was anticipating at the time that, you know, Locke, you know, was the sort of, you know, guy with, you know, the maybe more of the cachet, you know, the more, you know, quote unquote upside and athletic ability and all this sort of stuff. And, and you know, behind, behind you know, um, the cameras and everything, you know, Gino is just telling him, like, look, I know this offense inside and out. I know what audibles to make. I know what to do when I see the defense doing this, you know, like I know this, like the back of my hand and he's just been delivering the whole entire time. You know, I mean, the one game where I can say like, maybe he didn't, you know, he didn't really shine much was that loss, that early loss, you know, uh, down in Santa Clara against San Francisco, but they didn't really open up the offense for him either. They played it too safe and too close yeah, to and the pass. And it was interesting I would say that... it wasn't even like a terrible game. It was just it wasn't a terrible game, good. but Carroll came out and said afterwards, I expected him to say, like, you know, look, we got I mean, the traditional stuff that you'd expect Carroll to say, like, we need to run the ball, mm-hmm. we need to run it enough. And he was saying, like, no, we need to open this offense up for Gino. Mm-hmm. And so I really think that. You know, the the fascinating there's so many fascinating storylines about the Seattle Seahawks and 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 2022 and 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 at the top of it is definitely Geno Smith in this storyline. But um he just to me, he looks like I mean, in this game, uh, in that fourth quarter, and there was other fourth quarters too, like against the Giants and and you know, and a handful of I think that game against down in Arizona as well, where he mm-hmm. just like it gets to a point in the fourth quarter where he's just like, I'm gonna take this motherfucker over right now. Yeah. And he will get into like, I mean, he's not afraid to get into like, you know, the faces of his teammates. And 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 Carol was even saying this in the radio, like he's got a little bit of an edge to him and he'll just he'll just point, you know, the DK and Tyler, who make significantly more money than he does and, and are much <laughs> bigger names. And he's just like, look, guys, go out and make a play right now. Like it's time. Let's let's go do this. You know, Mm -hmm. kind of puts it on them and and this sort of I don't know. It's just to me, it's really cool. There's a lot of nuance to what he's doing. I mean, he he's looking off safeties. You know, he's Mm -hmm. his progressions. I mean, when he sees when he sees that window, I mean, he just lets it rip. Mm -hmm. it's like and it's and it's like a top level nfl throw like it's it's Mm -hmm. you know some throws with russ when even russ was kind of back in his prime and was sort of at the top you know there would be sometimes they would sail a little high they would just do that like gino's by and large i mean he's had you know he had that one you know weird hopper to you know uh to um tyler against the raiders kind of in towards overtime where you know it was just it was just a bad pass, but mm-hmm. it was super rare. Like most of his passes are just super precision, like almost laser, like accurate. And so he's got the accuracy. He's got the arm strength. He's got the nuances <laughs> to be able to like look off DBs and set things up. He knows that offense back in the hands. I mean, in my opinion, um, I think Seattle needs to ride and die with them this year. You know, to to push into the playoffs. I think that I I think I think the identity of this team this year is clearly Geno Smith and the receivers around him. I I think with this injury with um, with canine, you know, I think he could be out for a while and they really might have to sort of rely on being kind of an old school Bill Walsh, you know, um, 
throw to set up the run kind of thing like that like throw first and then you know loosen up the defense that way and then start mm-hmm. start feeding the ball and then getting play action and all that sort of stuff like i think i think i think they have to just sort of that's gonna how they're gonna have to win these you know next handful of games and and i have like total confidence at the level that they're playing at with him that they can do that you know they don't have a great defense right now. Maybe the defense, you know, um, comes around a bit more. I think there's still time for that to happen. But right now, the strength of this team, the identity of this team, is clearly uh, the receivers and the guy who's throwing them the rock. You know, yeah, and I agree. Um, I think I, 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 it would not shock me at the end of this year that he actually does get an MVP vote, which is something that Russell Wilson has never had. And if never you think had about this, if you think <laughs> about does, this storyline, yeah. And all that let Russ cook crap and all that sort of stuff like that. And like, you know, him, you know, and his entourage, you're like putting forth this whole kind of like agenda to like open up the offense and air it out. The quarterback that Carroll could be most comfortable in in his whole entire tenure in Seattle, they included Matt Hasselback in this equation, is actually Geno Smith. Mm-hmm. Carol's not afraid to let him rip. Uh, Gino's been, you know, getting 30 to 40 throws per game, which is very uncarol like uh, in the, in the Seattle Seahawks. And I do find that very interesting. uh, Russell Wilson, Uh, by the way, you know, who's not throwing it very often uh, anymore is Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos. Russell's now uh, only getting like 20 to 25 uh, throws and they're really leaning on the run and still not scoring any points. Yeah, and he still doesn't have uh his bathrooms have a four uh four point lead over touchdowns. <laughs> Thanks for the uh top five pick, Russ. Uh we appreciate it. We uh, love it. Uh, I mean I think it's it could be it's I think it, it, it I think it's gonna be two like the second overall pick in the draft. Yeah. I Here's think it's gonna thing. come down to a coin flip between them and Chicago. Yeah. I think if the Seahawks end up winning the Super Bowl in the next few years, they should give him a ring because oh, yeah. uh, that that trade <laughs> is absolutely the reason that this team is going to be in a position to do that. Um. Th- so what's up with this defense? Uh. So the, the you know when the game started against the Rams, it kind of looked like more of the same. Uh, getting gashed in the run, they're not getting after the quarterback. Things started to adjust a little bit. They started mm-hmm. stopping the run. They st- that pass rush was pretty on point in this game, um, and they were getting rid of the ball quickly. It's not like you know we were dealing with a quarterback who was just hanging on to it. Um, they got a couple picks from him. I I, <laughs> I just want to say, like as a backup quarterback, having the balls to throw toward Tariq Woolen not once but like three times, like. What what are you doing? McVeigh called that though. That's ridiculous. Like that's he called that from that's the sidelines. Like that's absolutely like, ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, but Tariq Woolen, uh, six picks. You know, tied for the lead in the league. Uh, I love that. But so so, what was what's the deal with this with this defense? Is it what were were they making some adjustments? There was a lot of um. I noticed early on in the game um, more of that um, outside containment issues that they were having at the beginning of the season. And, and it's almost like teams are kind of figuring it out. Like, okay, well, if, if, if there's nothing going on, uh, you know, in, in the middle uh, just bounce around to the outside, you'll probably be able to get 20 yards. Um, What's going on. Do I just throw out something real quick? Yeah. Like my, well, I, um, so the biggest thing that I noticed initially in that opening drive, what does it seem like? Um, uh, Bruce Irvin in particular was that. having a really difficult time um, yeah. uh, containing the outside, um, yeah. setting the outside edge, you know, like in the whole football 101 thing about, you know, run fits and everything like that. The guys that are on the perimeters uh, the um, edge rushers or the defensive ends, they, you know, their their first task is to, you know, not let the the blockers get outside them, and you know they, you know, they follow it out there, they string it out so that then the 
you know, the linebackers and the DBs can kind of come in and clean up, right? Like that's the number one thing. And he just, um, he, in it felt like almost like back-to-back plays just gave that up as in an attempt to go crashing inside, you know, maybe, maybe thinking the play was good. But the one thing I will bring up, and this was something that sort of, raised my eyebrows in like a Carol press conference earlier in the month was he was saying that in this scheme uh, they give uh, Uchenna Nuoso and um, and Irvin um, the opportunity to freelance and sort of guess it. Mm. Interesting. And so that's that that seems like hugely feast or famine like sometimes it comes up in a big play like if you remember that play that like you know bruce made against the giants where he shot right in through there and like <laughs> ragdolled uh daniel jones into yeah. saquon barkley and made that yeah, huge that splash fun. play like that was awesome right but you could also guess that wrong yeah. and if you guess that wrong and if you shoot up in there through that gap like quick you give up containment and then all of a sudden you're asking like you know like you know dbs to all of a sudden you know set that edge which is much more difficult for them to do so it's like to me it's kind of like the scheme i feel like is sort of calling for um a little bit more of a riskier kind of you know sort of like you know, sort of schematic sort of decision, you know, like they want to be able to like, I, I think in this sort of realm of the three, four that they live in, like they really want the edge rushers to be the ones to make the splash plays, but they got to sort of fit it up. Right. It's, I don't really totally love this, but this is what they're, this is what they're doing. And so, yeah, I think what we sort of hope is that, that they just sort of get better and smarter about that. <laughs> yeah. I, I, there was, there was a, there was one of those early plays. Um, it was one where the, the running back got outside and made, you know, a huge gain and it was on Bruce Irvin and I felt like he was in a no win scenario where you know he's he's taken his blocker mm -hmm. and it looks like the running back is going to come up the gap so Bruce Irvin pops into the gap and then the running back goes okay that lane is closed I'm going to go outside but by that point Bruce Irvin's already committed to the gap where he was going and loses containment and so it's like well, what, what does Bruce Irvin do then? Does he just wait until he hits that gap? Because if he waits till that running back hits that gap, then the running back's got momentum and he's going to like take that ball for four or five yards. And I think that's what we're seeing. I think that's why these running backs are just getting so much chunk plays and setting up these like easy third downs. Um, I'm not a football guy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if it's that obvious, but that's when I was watching it, I was like, man, I, that Bruce Irvin had, it was a no-win scenario. It, it didn't matter what he did. That play was going to go somewhere for that running back. Yeah. Yeah. They adjusted though. I mean, I think they, they sort of, they, they recognized what, you know, what, you know, the Rams were, how they were approaching that. And so I think they sort of called off the dogs I, I agree no they actually stopped that run pretty well uh and forced the rams to start throwing and that's when uh they started making mistakes i mean there were a bunch of three and out or and just really short drives um that i thought were impressive um and i'd like to see a whole lot more of that i think this defense has promise and uh they're a little jekyll and hyde right now um but so we're going to carolina taking on uh the sam darnold led uh carolina no they're Panthers. coming here oh are they is it uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, they're coming mm -hmm. here we've um, got them and kc at home right and then no we KC's go to kc kc's our last we've got, so we've got them and sf at home yeah and then kc and then, and then and then we got la and yeah jets who jets at home um, so Sam Darnold led Carolina Panthers. Uh, I think this Panthers team is tougher than their record. 
Um, I, I think they're frustratingly inconsistent, but I think that's a team that if they want it can really be bullies. Um, so I don't know. I've been thinking about how this game is going to go and I'm going to punt. And uh, what do you think, Curtis? How do you think this game is going to go? There's an air of Vegas in these uh, exactly uh, in these Panthers, I feel like. Um, yeah, Vegas ripping off a third win in a row, by the way. Watch out. Yeah, I think suddenly they're looking like, you know, uh, not really a suck-ass team. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm just going to say, I'm just going to throw this out here. I, I think, I think, I think Seattle, Seattle's going to win some more games. And I, 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 I'm pretty confident in that. And I am pretty confident that they will get to the playoffs. But I think that, None of these games left in the schedule look and are going to feel super easy. I think Seattle's going to be winning some shootout games. Yeah, um, absolutely. And agree. I think in this team I see in Carolina, we don't really know because we don't know enough about like how Darnold is going to do. We've seen that he did pretty well against um, a tough Bronco team. You know, with their defense, at least defensively, the Broncos are tough, right? Mm -hmm. But they ran for like 180 some odd yards and he only threw it for like, you know, like I think like a buck 60, but he was pretty right. efficient with it, sort of thing like that. So I would anticipate that, um, that Carolina is going to, you know, see the sort of tendencies that's in the Seattle defense and they're going to say, like, okay we're going to run this thing, you know, 38, 40 times <laughs> and, you know, and just kind of like try and play, um, try and get the, get the ball out of, you know, Gino's hands. I think Seattle might actually be like going like, you know what, we, we need to get up, you know, quick in this game and get out of, get them out of that mindset and get Donald passing a bit more. So I think that, I don't see enough in the um, I don't think they have a bad defense in Carolina, but I don't I feel like Seattle has put up um, a fair amount of points on better defenses. Mm -hmm. So I'm confident that Seattle is going to throw um, throw up some points in this one. It's just a question of, you know, what how many points Carolina is going to do. And I think I'm going to say my feeling is Seattle is going to win this game. But it might be a fairly close one, and I'll say uh, 27, 20, 24, something like that. Lana, what do you got? I got no clue. I don't know how to, what to make of this Carolina team. They got rid of their best players and then started playing well. There's a Ewing theory uh, yep. element to that. Um, I mean, part of it is getting rid of that, rid of that cancer of a coach and Matt Rule. Um, yes. He seemed like a monster, and then he was immediately hired to college football. Um, oh, where did he go? Nebraska. Oh, that's right. Yeah, My God, just like anyway. Um, I got no idea. I'll be honest. Uh, I'm just throwing a dart at a board. I yeah. feel like the Seahawks are a better team overall. I feel like Carolina has got that dog in them um, a little bit right now. And, uh, you know, they, they've got that Raider in them. You're absolutely right. Um, but we've played the Raiders. And mm -hmm. so we know what that looks like. We know what it looks like for a team who's just playing with everything um, because we're next on the schedule. So I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. Um I think the Seahawks will win it because it's at home and it's been a little while. Been a little while. Feels like it's been a little while. I know it's only been two weeks. Um, so I'm and I'm only going to be able to watch part of it or start it late because uh, I have to go to a first birthday party. Um, so I'm going to just say 31 uh, to 24 Seahawks. Yeah, I, I, I mean. I until this defense can really figure out how to stop the run, I see all of these games being pretty close. Every game left on the schedule, I just see mm -hmm. super close games. 
Um, and the Seahawks are going to be in for a dog fight. Um, I, I I know I I feel like this team we're going to see a lot. Uh, it's going to go like that Atlanta game. It's going to go like that Saints game. It's going to go like that Raiders game, where it's going to be a team where we feel like we should be in full control over and they are going to play their hearts out and the Seahawks are going to find themselves in a dogfight. Um, I think this time they're going to pull it out. Uh, they have to, uh, I think with the remaining games on the schedule, especially with the 49ers and the chiefs coming up, I think this is a must win game if they want to get into the playoffs. Um, because you know, like the 49ers and the chiefs are tough teams and, uh, you, you know, th those might be losses. Um, I too think the Seahawks are going to take this one at home. Um, I'm going to say 27, 23. And maybe Sam Darnold will have a meltdown and throw a few picks and it can be um, not that close. Which he's known to do. Which he is known to do. If that, if the, if the Seahawks pass rush can show up and make Darnold uncomfortable um, and get ahead and, force them to throw. Uh, this should be a game they can win pretty easily. All right. We'll see. I'm looking forward to it. Mm -hmm. um, uh, should we move on to some Mariners? Mariners have been making some moves. There have been moves, moves being had in baseball. Uh, breaking news. H Hanniger has uh, signed a three-year contract with Giants. No longer Seattle Mariner. Um, uh, Hanniger, we... Uh, we wish you the best. He was he was always a good player. I liked him. Um, and it's uh, too bad that his season last season was cut so short because of mm -hmm. that. Um, uh, I, I the 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 biggest move that uh, I'm a fan of is not a Mariners move, but it's Verlander going to the Mets. Get the fuck out of the AL West. That dude owned. The Seattle Mariners, and yeah. I am happy to see him go. If it weakens the Astros a little bit, then I'm all for it. Yeah. Uh, but what have you been seeing, Alana? Uh, are the is 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 Jerry making the right moves? Uh, should 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 he be going for you know bigger splash plays and throwing some money around? I know, like a lot of fans have been. Uh, I think a little frustrated that he hasn't been going after the free agent favorites. Yeah. So uh, here's where we stand. Currently for 2023, our payroll is at 136, I think million. Um, the luxury tax threshold is about 235 million. So uh -huh. theoretically we're a hundred million dollars under the luxury tax threshold. Um, or, or we have a, you know, a cap. It's a, it's a really soft cap in baseball um, where we could spend a hundred million or more dollars. Now, ownership is not necessarily of the spend at all variety, um, and that is something that the front office has to deal with. And so, as a result, instead of going after the big blockbuster free agents, they're going after these trades, these smaller trades, or in some case, larger trades. Um, I think the Tay Oscar Hernandez trade is a big deal. Um, I think, I think that, you know, we, we, he, we played against them uh, on the blue Jays. Um, we did, we gave up something to get him, but we didn't get up, give up a lot to get him. And we had, I mean, it was uh, Swanee and, um, I can't remember who the other player was, um, uh, but that was like three weeks ago. So, uh, but I, I think that that's going to be, we know two of our outfielders now. And then the other deal was to get a second baseman. Now there's a lot, there's been a lot of heat around this deal. And it's because by getting that second baseman, we're kind of saying we're out on the shortstops. Um, and it, it kind of reinforces the commitment that Jerry and Scott made to jp crawford mm -hmm. um you're our shortstop and you know for team morale no better move like sure not bringing in somebody who's going to overshadow uh jp crawford defensively at that position uh from a defensive standpoint colton long uh who we traded uh uh 
Winker and Toro for and got some money back in it. Um, Colton Wong, Wong is a pretty stalwart defensive second baseman. Um, without the shift in play in 2023, uh, it's going to be a it's. He's one of those players that that looks really favorable for, both defensively and offensively. He was one of the most shifted against batters in the National League last year and uh, and has a history of hitting really well, um, at, with the exception of 2022, against non-shifted infield. Uh, and so he's... Kind of got some secret, you know, um, I just watched Moneyball. Uh, he's got yeah, some yeah, secret yeah. Bill James attributes that that would make it so, like, that's a really smart trade. We're going to have probably one of the top five defensive infields in baseball next year. Yes. Um, largely due to Perry Hill, but also due to the players involved. There are a lot of people who are really, really upset about that move. And I kind of, I understand it because the... Um, the players that were out there were big names, right? But Trey Turner just signed an 11 year deal for $300 million in Philadelphia. And he's from, he has family ties to the Philadelphia area. Right. Uh, can you see a Seattle team negotiating that kind of meeting with that kind of deal? Paying for somebody who's 30 already? Like, right. That's an, he's going to be in his 40s when that deal ends. Like, that's a smart move passing up on that. Yeah. Regardless, like, and granted, I'm fine with spending the Mariners' money, but like, why would you invest that amount of money in a in a player when you have a player like that that you've already invested that kind of money in that you're going to have through the entirety of his career? Yeah. Well, not only that, you're also looking at Cal Raleigh's going to need his payday. Right. You know, we Kirby. got a young core. Kirby. We do. Need, yeah. Um, and so, all of that. so, and so, by making that move, we're 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 set on our infield. We need a backup first baseman and DH. But where I think that what that tells me is that there's a possibility. We, none of those big name outfielders have signed. None of them have. Right. The biggest name outfielder to sign a contract is Mitch Haniger. And like, exactly. yes, we lost him. But they also the the Giants paid almost fifteen mil a year for three years and he's from fucking San Francisco. Right. So like, how can we compete with that? We don't, we can't done. Like yeah. it's okay. Go Mitch, have a great time in that chaotic NL West. That's going to be a just like monster of chaos. And it's going to be amazing to watch from a distance. Um, so, but Nemo hasn't signed. Uh, uh, God, I can't even remember any of the other guys. Um, Aaron Judge hasn't even signed. Yet. Aaron he's, Judge he's hasn't signed. An right. offer that like you would think he can't refuse, but that must mean he is uh listening to offers from other teams. He is also from San Francisco or Sacramento. Um, so I think that there's a pretty good chance he ends up with the Giants and he's and yeah. he's kind of pushing it out so he can get more out of the Giants. Oh, the possibly. smoke is there. The smoke yeah. is there. But I think all told, Mariners fans need to chill a little bit because if you look at the the complete picture, we signed Julio, we signed Luis Castillo, we signed uh, Teoscar Hernandez, we got Teoscar Hernandez. Those are three big moves, and those are three moves that we're investing in are investing in the future. Yeah. Teoscar Hernandez is, I think, gone after next year, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and then we got we we. we did a really player friendly deal and trading away Kyle Lewis. That was it was never going to work out here, and we got somebody back who it was never going to work for, work out for in Arizona. We did a player friendly deal dealing out Jesse Winker, and we still have more trade chips. So if Jet, if um, if Jerry Depoto and Scott Service want to build the team through trades, especially if those trades include Flexen, Marco. Mm -hmm. Our plus or our, um, extra relievers, uh, I'm fine with that. Um, do I want them to? But then at the same time, there is something to me that speaks well of signing Brandon Nimmo, 
um, because he's a, he's a decent outfielder, but he gets on base and he could slap that ball. Uh, and just one more bat in the lineup, and then Kelnick can play DH, um, and maybe Evan White will fulfill his promise and get back up to the major league level. But like, it's it's there's just so much criticism for not spending the the New York Bats, New York uh, Yankees, San Francisco Giants, LA Dodgers type of money. And there's a reason for that. And it's a good reason. Um, I think like sometimes people from Seattle like to think of Seattle as this big city. And uh, as a, as a man who was born and raised in Seattle, Seattle's not a city. Seattle, Seattle is an outpost. Seattle is small. It's small market. So the Seattle Mariners are a small market. The Seattle Mariners don't have Yankee money. They don't have New York or San Francisco money. Just because we're, I, 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 I will beg to differ just a little bit there. We're not small. We're not San Antonio. We're not Portland. We're not Oklahoma. We're a medium-sized market. Sure, we're like sure. 11th or 12th. 13th, 13th largest market. Mm, yeah. yeah. So that's like, and we've got a hockey team, a football team, a baseball team, a basketball team, a soccer team. Uh, you oh, know, we're a sports like, town for sure. A sports town. So like yeah. market-wise. And there's a shit ton of money in this town too. And there's like, a shit ton really. of money in this town. Yeah. There, yeah, there's, there's so, a shitload of money in this town. All told, I'm pretty happy with the two moves, the two big moves. Um, uh, I think that, I, I think that the Colton Wong move will more will be forthcoming, and that's either going to be in the form of a Japanese pitcher or a uh, stalwart left fielder. I agree. Yeah. And fans need to like, it is so, so, so early in the off season. Oh yeah. Um, like, you know what? Winker was signed. I don't know. When was Winker? He was signed. Late and that's a, that's a tough, that's a, he wasn't signed. He was traded for. That's oh, a oh, tough that's one right. to, to compare because of the, uh, the work stoppage. That's true too. Yeah, we traded true. him and they, during spring training and they walked right. across the field and joined the team. And I think A.U. Yeah. probably walked into that clubhouse and was like, <laughs> and then became a mariner. Yeah, it's not the Winker trade anymore. It's the no. it's the Suarez trade. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but still, like, it, people are acting like the Mariners are done wheeling and dealing, and that has never been true. Um, you know, they, they won't stop wheeling and dealing. No. Uh, that's just, that's, 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 Jerry's, um, that's Jerry's way of doing it. Well, let me throw um, this one out at the two of you right now. What do you yeah. think about the prospects? Uh, what would you think of the idea of Brian Reynolds in Seattle? I mean, I think that the asking price is going to be far too large for it. I think that they want, I mean, I think that that involves giving up both Emerson Hancock and um, yeah. uh, the next Do Taylor Dollard. I think it probably involves Harry Ford as well. Um, and then maybe... Uh, a big name uh, like a Flexen or Marco Gonzalez, who yeah. they probably cut and or trade right away. I think getting Brian Reynolds, if you can swing it, I'm willing to give up like two thirds of those prospects. I don't want to lose both of the good pitchers. Um, I think he's a perfect fit for our team. Uh, I but I think I think the Pirates are going to be like, "Fuck you." <laughs> so there's we have. They have him on the, under club control for a couple more years, if I'm mistaken. Yeah, I mean, I'm seeing something that was, you know, a tweeted out sort of report, take it for what you will, uh, by this Kobe Duncan guy who seems to be a journalist reporter. But he mentioned about 10 hours ago, per source in caps, Seattle mm -hmm. Mariners are in on Brian Reynolds. Names being thrown around, Matt Brash, Jared Kelnick, Harry Ford, Emerson Hancock. Yeah. So I don't want to give up. I don't know if that's like all of them or like a combination of those guys. But I mean, I'd give up. I'd give up Kelnick. Um, I'd give up Kelnick, Hancock, Ford, and then maybe and some like maybe another reliever. Um, 
I'm fine with it. Like, like I like Kelnick. I think he can make it. Mm-hmm. I think a change of scenery might do him good. I think Brian Reynolds is, is the real deal. I think yeah. an outfield with Brian Reynolds, uh, Julio Rodriguez, Julio and Oscar. Like, I think that that is a special outfield. Right. Um, sometimes you got to give up something to get something, but I don't want to give up both Dollard and Hancock. No, yeah, because Those I mean, essentially at that two. point, you're getting rid of your farm, you know, right. like that's right. completely depleted. Um, and if this a team like the Seahawks to stay competitive, um, has to, has to do it through the development of their farm system. Um, can't just give up everybody. Uh, that'd be fun though. Um, I'm excited mm-hmm. to see, uh, what else the Mariners, uh, got cooking, uh, because uh, every move that they make, it feels like we're getting closer and closer to the Astros. Uh, and I just want to beat the crap out of the Astros next season. That's I, even if we don't win the world series, I just want, I just want to win against the Astros. Um, uh, quickly before we get into, uh, some Dorkin, uh, I just want to say I'm really excited that uh, we're running it back with Michael Penix Jr., the Huskies next season. Um, I, you know, I think another season of uh, Michael Penix Jr. and DeBoer and this uh, Husky team, we we could be contending for a playoff spot there. I mean, I think we could be contending for some titles. Uh, I think that Michael Penix Jr. is uh, is hot stuff. He's real good, and, and he could be, uh, you know, he could be a Heisman candidate. Yeah, he should be. I was surprised. Um, I'm selfishly excited that I get to watch him for another year in this town. Um, I am too. And I'm praying that he doesn't get drafted by like the Rams <laughs> in 2024. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, totally. Like, I know. Yeah. I, I, I feel like if he had just like five or six more touchdowns, he would have been in that Heisman conversation. Yeah. He had over 30 touchdowns. I think he ended with 29, like 29 and seven interceptions or something like that. Um, but he had the most yards. Uh, but uh, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I think those two, um, Kellen DeBoer and um, Michael Penix Jr. have something special. I think that's a special relationship, and I think they really understand each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's really exciting. So go dogs! It's going to be fun. Uh, and when the Alamo Bowl is, uh, the Huskies are going to be playing in the Alamo Bowl. That's going to be coming up. That'll be fun to watch. Against um, the Steve Sarkeesian. Led, yeah. Uh, oh, that's not intentional at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, that'll be fun. I'm looking forward to it. I, I do. I can't believe that guy game. got another fucking job. Like. How did this is when I like? How does a guy like that just keep getting like? He went and won a national championship with uh, Saban as his offensive coordinator after he got canned. Um, from uh, from UW, from USC, yeah, or USC. Apparently, he sobered up or something like that. So yeah, yeah. chance. I mean, we're we're willing. Can you imagine if Deion Sanders got busted being drunk at a bowl game? This is exactly exactly. Would he get another chance? Never Never comes again. I mean, really, if we're going to be talking about college football, that's the storyline to talk about is how exciting it is. Prime time. You know, prime time. Yeah. 12 coaching, you know, uh, the Colorado. Colorado. Yeah. I think Um, that's super fun. Because now all of a sudden, like, you know, I mean, with, with Caleb Williams down in USC and what Utah seems to be always doing and, Oregon always seems to be doing and like Washington coming around and now you get in like prime time <laughs> in like Colorado, like all of a sudden, like, I think Back that like, college football out West is, has the potential next year of being pretty exciting. For the next yeah. Few years. yeah. Yeah. It's going to be fun. And they kind of have to, it, it felt like there was a mass exodus. Um, so just to like, you know, keep that division around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. It's going to be fun. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, you want to dork out about some stuff? Can I tell you what I'm dorking out about? This is all I'm dorking out about today uh, is Warnock winning the runoff against Herschel fucking Walker, who should never have been in that position in the first place. 
Um, thank you, Georgia, for having a head on your shoulders and doing the right thing. Um, but it was still way closer than it had any right to be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's uh, that's nice. I, again, like we saw in um, in the regular election this past November, um, the polling showed that it was like super close, that Herschel Walker was probably going to take it. And here it is, um, you know, the last I saw, he was losing by two points and with a bunch more votes in, you know, blue Atlanta counties uh, left to vote. So, you know, it, it's not out of the realm of possibility that Warnock could take this by three or four points, which in this day of... Um, of uh you know partisan politics um is a pretty big win uh but that's okay. what i'm dorking out about and uh i'll give it to you curtis what do you what do you got going on uh yeah um uh the only thing that i've been really hooked into outside of sports is the um the uh uh the western series uh the english on prime uh with emily blunt and this oh. actor whose name escapes me but he's amazing playing this uh this native um scout um uh i'm a huge fan of westerns uh i grew up watching a lot of these uh you know the old john ford films with my dad and the spaghetti westerns and everything and um i uh for a while, when I was at the University of Washington, I was pulling a double major in uh, drama and the classics. And, um, you know, in a lot of these um, iconic Western films, uh, a lot of them are sort of deconstructed retelling of Greek, Greek mythology stories um, uh, <clears throat> that I had kind of, I did, I did sort of a uh, classics and film sort of comparative kind of class one time and kind of came across that and that sort of deepened my love and appreciation for these films and this show i don't know if either one of you have had a chance to sort of sit and watch it um it's spectacularly shot i mean it's just stunning to watch the cinematography of it um and um the acting is just grade a a plus superb um across the board and and it has some uh recognizable um uh actors playing supported roles in it like gary farmers in it uh the uh the irish actor that i really like his name always escapes me but he was um he was he played julius caesar in the hbo show oh Row. yeah yeah yeah. And yeah you know that guy he was you know he's, he's, he's in like the first episode of it um and I'm about three episodes in and there always seems to be like so far there's just like, oh shit, it's that person, <laughs> you know, sort of making an appearance of it. And it's sort of, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a co BBC um, Amazon prime production. Uh, so they've got like, you know, BBC acting talent that's coming in in these uh, episodes. Um uh and i'm three episodes in and i'm loving it it's uh uh it's 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 uh it's kind of beautiful and uh kind of um terrifying at the same time what's the name of it again the english the english nice yeah. uh i'm a big fan of western so i'll have to check that one out yeah uh alana what are you talking out about um as you might note, I have a a dish behind me. Um, this was a dish. Uh, this is not a picture of food I made because I don't. I'm not a good like Instagram photographer. You're not, you're not uh, a food photographer. No, no, I don't. I don't really do that. Um, but this is uh, Odalenge's um, lamb shawarma. Odalenge is a really famous cookbook author. Um, a lot of people have. A number of his cookbooks. We have one uh, that's all about uh, Jerusalem. It is, it's called Jerusalem. And it's a really like hands on lamb shawarma where you're cooking it on the bone and you're braising it, uh, basting it throughout the, the cook time. Um, and it was something we made for the. Um, so, backing up a little bit, uh, New Year's Eve is a holiday that I have a strong 
I had a strong distaste for because it's an amateur drunk holiday. You go out, you get stranded, you call a cab, you wait four hours, you get home six hours later. Um, it's terrible. Um, and I had like so many, uh, uh, so many situations like that that happened again and again and again. Um, and so I was like, fuck it. And I invited over 20 people and I made a 12 course meal for them. And I was like, look, I will buy the food. I will cook the food. You bring the booze and then we'll be all happy. Uh, and so that became a tradition for about six or seven years. Um, and then Beth and I got pregnant and um, uh, we had one and then we had one more and then it ended. Um, and so, but the last one that I really did a good job on and where people stuck around and it wasn't just like, coming over for the food and then going out to other parties was one where I cooked this lamb shawarma for Odolenge. Um, uh, and it was a delicious and you're grinding your own spices and you're rubbing it and, and doing all the things. Um, and it's great. Uh, so this year I'm going to bring back the tradition a little bit. And so I'm really dorking out over menu planning. Um, I get really into it. It's something my dad does too. And we came to it individually, not in communication with each other. We both just kind of were like, oh, let's menu plan these fancy themed meals. Um, and so I'm building this year's around that lamb because Beth couldn't eat it uh, because she was pregnant. Um, and she was like one month pregnant, which is the real like, I can only yeah, eat everything is gross. Yeah. I can only eat cantaloupe and cottage cheese, I say from experience. Um, from her experience. Uh, at any rate, so I just wanted to read my the menu I'm planning so far um, because I'm dorking out over it. Uh, I'm going to have some canapes that include spicy roasted nuts, probably oh, yeah. uh, roasted with maple syrup, uh, oysters with a variety of mignonets, um, and maybe caviar Russian style with blintzes. Um for appetizers, the one request from my child is roast bone marrow um, with toasted baguette and something uh, light and fruity. So I'll probably just do, I have, I make this um, uh, orange praise. So I use orange and mozzarella cheese balls and hit it with mint and like uh, some uh, olive oil and salt. It's really easy and it looks way nicer than it actually is. Um, <laughs> And then my first course is going to be some kind of green, green soup topped with a tasty oil. Because, like, if you put some oil, like, like really unctuous oil on top of, like, a warm green soup, it can be more delicious than anything you've ever tasted. And then something, something black-eyed peas, because you have to have black-eyed peas. You have to have black-eyed peas in New Year's Eve. That's right. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. And then a yeah. whole roast, a whole salt, or a salt roast, a whole branzino uh, with rice pilaf. I'm going to make that. Langi's lamb shawarma, and then uh, I'm going to tell someone else to make dessert because I don't do dessert. Um, and so, like, I'm just like really geeking out over this menu planning. We need to get the lamb leg from uh, Better Meats, which is up here in the Greenwood. It's a phenomenal meat butcher. Uh, I get my prime rib there every year when I when I cook prime rib, um, and I can't recommend it enough. It is one of the best places to go to in town. They have everything, uh, and they're awesome. Um, so if you're shopping for meat, better meat, it's on 83rd and, like, 3rd Northwest. So I'm geeking out over that. It's going to be a wonderful time. I love to cook. Um, yeah. Uh, that sounds awesome. Who's, when's the party? New Year's Eve. Yeah. Yeah, what time am I showing up? <laughs> it's not at my house, so I can't invite <laughs> you. I'm using somebody else's kitchen. That's the other thing about it. It's like, let me use your kitchen and I'll make you a good meal. That sounds fantastic. And there will be kids there. You don't want to be at a party with kids. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll just show up for the food. Give me a yeah. like a little takeout container. To go box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, a little to go box. I'll I'll trade you a bottle of wine. We're good. Um. Uh, yeah, that was just fun. You should, uh, if you're listening, uh, hit that plus sign or that subscribe button or whatever it is, wherever you're listening to us. Uh, we're on all. We're on all the. We're on all the places you get your podcasts: Spotify and Apple Podcasts and Audible and Google and I don't know. All of them. They all have weird names. 
if you can't find us on whatever you're listening to, then uh, let us know and we'll add it. Super easy. Uh, check out Curtis's blog, 12life.com. He's always got some great insight on there and it's fun and funny. Um, and, uh, you know, Curtis needs some money. So look up Gardens of the Galaxy and, you know, you, you can book them. And I think there's a, there's a, there's a GoFundMe out there too right curtis there's like a gofundme for uh uh yeah there is i'm i'm not sure how many more days is left in that um uh i um people that follow this podcast probably have uh been aware that my business was hit uh a few weeks back with some um pretty significant not not one but two trucks Two trucks stolen and yeah. you know thousands of dollars of power equipment. Somebody, oh, somebody man. was yeah. generous and yeah. set up a GoFundMe, and you can you can go find that and throw some money Curtis's way. Uh, you know, it always sucks when something like that happens. Right um, now, I'm landscaping out of a Prius, and uh, <laughs> no, no, it has limitations. <laughs> <laughs> in the trunk it's got booty limitations right (laughs) that's just bad it does not have junk in its trunk (laughs) if i saw a landscaper driving up in a prius that that's not a landscaper i would hire part of the half the time when i'm like pulling like when i'm pulling up and pulling out and like pulling gear out of the prius uh i'm i'm nervous that someone's gonna call the cops because they i look like somebody who's stolen a bunch of power tools and someone's (laughs) prius and he's driving around Yeah, come on. I mean, if I saw me, I'd probably call the cops in that scenario. There's gunshots. So he doesn't get arrested for pulling tools out of his own Prius. Yeah, yeah. Once again, my name is Daniel for a lot of Curtis Millie. We're missing you. The rest of the 12s saying goodbye and go Hawks. Go Hawks. Go Hawks.